It's good to be with you today, and I just want to say thank you for being a part. Um, it's kind of cool to look back behind me and see this wall full of prayer, isn't it? I mean, that's your prayers um, from the last four weeks, and, and I'm just thankful for everyone that's been participating in a part of this. And, and I just want to say this, God is doing great things. I mean, I'm hearing stories all the time of great things that God is doing, and I just want to encourage you not to miss. I mean, like, we come to church, and sometimes I think it's easy to just come to church and leave and not really seek what God wants to do, but I'm telling you that God wants to work in your life and through your life. So I, I came to the office this morning, and my, my typical routine is I go in my office and I study through my notes several times to try to, you know, just make sure I'm really familiar with it. And my phone rang in my office, which my, my office phone doesn't ring a whole lot, and, and especially not at 8.15 on Sunday morning. And so I went over and I picked it up, and it was a good friend of mine who was calling, he was calling to leave a message for me just to tell me some praise of what God's done in his life. But, but he started, to, since I picked it up, he started to share just, just what's happening in him. And he said that in December, he was just really feeling discouraged and, and really kind of grieving some stuff in his life. And he was praying about it and he felt like um, he just needed to go to a restaurant and just get out and not be by himself. And so he started driving to this restaurant and on his way to the restaurant as he's praying and as he's feeling the brokenness and the grieving, God put somebody on his heart just put a name on his heart of somebody. And he thought, you know, I'm going through this pain and I know this person's also going through pain. And so I'm going to start praying for this person and I'm going to make sure that I devote myself to pray for this other person. And he arrived to the restaurant and guess who was sitting in the restaurant? It was the person. And, and, it, and I'm just telling you, like that sort of stuff, like, okay, you can say maybe that's coincidence, but I'm telling you God's at work. And I'm telling you that if you will pray, if you will really just give your heart and your life and surrender completely and not just go through the motions of church, but if you will surrender everything, God's going to do incredible things. And so I don't want you to miss that. Um, I, I'm thankful to be with you today. I want to say this. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty... Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you, we're praying for enemies today, and I'm a person that doesn't like to make enemies as a pastor, you know, there are some pastors that I think enjoy when their preaching steps on people's toes, or, you know, if there's something in people's lives and they like it when their preaching convicts people or the Holy Spirit convicts people through their preaching. I, I, that's not me. Like, I want to present God's Word faithfully, but I, I never want anyone to, I mean, I want the Spirit to do the work. But I got to tell you, I've been, I've been praying that today, as we talk about praying for our enemies, I've been praying that if there are toes that need to be stepped on, if the Spirit needs to do some work, that God will speak today through His Word. It's not about me and what I'm going to say, but that God will speak through His Word, because I really believe this, that when we can completely surrender, I'm not talking about 98% surrender and keep 2% of our bitterness and anger and hatred towards others, but when we can completely surrender all of it, I believe that the floodgates are just going to open up and we're going to see God do incredible things. So, so we're talking about praying for our enemies today. This is probably the toughest week. It's probably the toughest thing to pray for your enemies. But I want to remind you of two things. For starters, and these are kind of themes throughout the series, for starters, we are called to be ministers of reconciliation. We are 
are called to be ministers of reconciliation. Turn to someone next to you and say, we... We are, okay, we are, we added a word, that's good. Say you, say I, we are called. All right, we are called to be ministers of reconciliation. God's plan is not for the church to sit back and God's gonna use some paid people to work. God's plan is not for the church to sit back comfortably while he calls a specific few people. God's plan is that we, each and every one of us, would be agents of reconciliation. We would be ministers in the world around us. So we are ministers of reconciliation. I think that... um, Praying for enemies is the hardest thing because in order to pray for our enemies, we kind of have to let go of some things, don't we? If you've got someone in your life that, that you're holding something against, you can't truly pray to God for that person if you're holding something against them. And so today, I think what, what's so hard about praying for our enemies is that we've got to be willing to let go and surrender everything. I want to remind you of another thing. And that's this, that God chooses often to answer our prayers through us. We pray for a lot of things. We pray for revival. We pray for people that are, for our loved ones. We pray for people that are in need. God chooses to work through his people to answer prayer. So so we are ministers and God chooses to use us to answer prayer. And so we, we've got to be fully surrendered. We're in, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 1 today. Last week we were in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going backwards this week. And, and I think this text, I'll, I'll give you a little background in case you weren't here last week, but Paul is writing, um, the Apostle Paul, the great missionary Paul, is writing this letter to Timothy, his protege, who is leading the church in Ephesus. And as we talk about praying for enemies, like, it's appropriate because Timothy is in the middle of a situation where the church in Ephesus is a mess and people are against each other and there are people that are working against what God is doing. And so Paul is writing this letter back to Timothy to encourage him to stay faithful through the struggle and to live well and to keep the faith and to lead well. And so we're in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 12 through 17. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me, and I'm going to read this, and you can read along on the screen. In verse 12, it says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, and only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You can have a seat. So we're we're praying for enemies, and and Paul writes this letter, and he talks about two things. We've got two sections we're going to get to here. The first is the first half of it, and it's what God has done for Paul, and then the second half of it is what God is doing through Paul. 
So we got two parts. We're going to start with the first. He starts by thanking God. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who's given me strength that he's considered me trustworthy and appointed me to his service. So I've got four things we see as we look at what God has done for Paul. Number one, Paul is thankful. I want to make a point here. I want you to hear me today. We as Christians should be thankful people. You know that thankful people are fun to be around, right? Right? You like people who are thankful, right? People that are thankful usually have joy, and they're usually kind, and and they love others. Paul is thankful. He starts, he says, thank you, God, for what you've done. He has a thankful heart. We as Christians are called to be thankful people. And I'm just going to say it. There are way too many Christians that are walking around with a chip on their shoulder. There are way too many Christians that are walking around looking for things to be upset about. And that's not who we're called to be. We are called to be thankful people because God has done great things. Paul is thankful. Number two, he says, I'm thankful that, that, um, that Jesus has appointed me to a service, that he finds me trustworthy. And what Paul's saying here is, I can't believe that God trusts me to be in ministry. So he says, I'm thankful that he loves me, that he saved me, but I'm thankful that he has called me. So number one, Paul is thankful, but number two, Paul understands that he is called to ministry. We are all, we are ministers of reconciliation. He's thankful. Can, have you ever just thought, I can't believe that, that God loves me and that God would trust me to be a part of his, I can't believe that God trusts me to get up here and speak or to share my faith with people. I can't believe that God chooses us to do his work. But Paul says, I'm thankful and I know I'm called. And the next thing he says is he's unworthy. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Okay, those are are bad, right? Those Those aren't such good things. I want to do something here. I want, you to, I want you to do something. I want to do a little exercise. I don't want you to say these things out loud. But see, every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us should be thankful for the grace of God that saves and calls. And so I want to read what Paul says, and I want you to imagine that there's three blanks there. He says, I'm a blasphemer. He says, I'm a persecutor, and I'm a violent man. I want you to think about in your mind and your heart, if this were you listing out your shortcomings, what would they be? You don't have to say them out loud. We don't want to hear it. But think about that. Even though I once was a blank and a blank and a blank, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. What Paul is saying is he's thankful that God would choose him because he's so unworthy. Listen, listen, I, I don't want to burst your bubble today, but no, nobody in here, not one single person in here is worthy to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ apart from the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. 
Not a single one of us is worthy. We all could fill in those three blanks, and maybe you could fill in ten more of all the ways that you've fallen short. But God loves us, and God saves us, and God chooses us despite our unworthiness. And here's verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So, so take your three blanks there where you've fallen short, even though I was this and this and this. I want you to hear the good news. God's grace is abundantly bigger than your sin. I don't, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what these blanks have in them. Your shortcomings are nothing compared to the abundant grace of Jesus Christ. I want you to feel that today. And so Paul says, I thank God. Paul's thankfulness comes because he understands his unworthiness and Christ's abundant grace. When we understand how unworthy our blanks, how much we don't deserve it, and we understand how much of God's grace is poured out on us, we will be a people that are thankful and that are called and living out our call. The second thing I want you to hear is, as we talk about praying for others is this. We will be best equipped to pray and to work for others when we understand the work that Christ did for us. If we can have a thankful heart, we can know the amount of grace that's covered our sins, then we're prepared, we're ready to minister and to be agents of reconciliation. And so, so the first part is what God has done for Paul. Paul is thankful because God has saved him. God has called him. Even though he's unworthy, God's grace has covered him. Now let's go to the second part. And that's what God is doing through Paul in verse 15. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I want you to, want you to hear how God is working through Paul. He says, first off, Christ came into the world to save sinners. Listen, I, I want to tell you something. We are called to pray for our enemies. And, and I just want to be really clear. We, it is not an option for the Christian to pray for their enemies. It's not something that you can choose, yeah, I'll do that part of Christianity. I'll, I'll, or, you know what, I'm not gonna pray for my enemies. It's not an option. We are called to pray for our enemies because Jesus came to save sinners. The mission of Jesus Christ on earth was not to come and enjoy fellowship with the church or have potlucks or have parties or just hang out and have, have nice time fist bumping each other. Jesus didn't come to have an exclusive party. Jesus came to save sinners. Now, I realize like, like that's an unpopular term in our world today, the word sinner. 
But the truth is, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and Jesus came so that sinners could be saved. That was his purpose. We as the church cannot sit around and think that our purpose is to be comfortable and enjoy meals together. Those are fine. Those are good things. But our purpose is not that. Our purpose is to continue the work of Jesus Christ to see the lost saved. Let me just say that again. There, there should be a lot. I, it's not my preaching. It's God's word. But there should be a lot more amens to that. We, the church, are called to continue the work of Jesus Christ to see sinners saved. That's our job. Sometimes we get comfortable. Sometimes, sometimes we think it's about us. And listen, Jesus came so a sinner like me could be saved. But if the mission of Christ was to save sinners, the mission of the church, the prayers of the church, should be for the lost. So I don't know if you've got some enemies, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's not an option. You, as a follower of Christ, are called to pray for and to seek out and to work on behalf of those that are lost. Paul goes on, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I love this next line, of whom I'm the worst. Paul says he is the worst of all sinners. Now, I'm, I would make the case that Paul has a pretty good argument. I know that some of you, if we confessed our deepest, darkest sins, they would not line up. They wouldn't be the worst things in the world. But I want you to hear this. This is Paul, and he says, I was the worst of sinners. He says, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and I was a violent man. So he was a blasphemer. He not only worked against the church, but he tried to get people to recount their faith. It wasn't enough for him to be against God's work. He wanted to ruin other people that were for God's work. He was a blasphemer. He says he was a persecutor. He actively worked to hurt people, to kill people who were worshiping God. And he was a violent man. Those are three pretty big blanks there, aren't they? And guess what? He wasn't doing it just because he didn't like some people. He was doing it against God's work. So Paul says, hey, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. I want you to hear this. I know, I know that some of you have people in your life that you may think, ah, their blanks just might be a little bit too much for God's grace. If Christ was patient with Paul, if Christ died for Paul and saved Paul, then guess what? Christ will be patient with anyone. Was Paul the worst? I, we could argue some other names. We could go through and have a pretty good argument over who the worst sinner of all time is. Paul's got a pretty good claim. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that I'm going to guess you don't know anybody whose blanks or sins would be over worse than Paul's. Paul says... Christ came to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. I want you to hear this. We said this last week. Nobody is outside of the grace of Jesus Christ. There is not a person on this earth that Jesus does not love and did not come to die for. I don't care what people have done to you. I don't care how ugly they've been or how much they've hurt you. There is nobody that's outside of the grace of Jesus Christ. 
Paul worked against God, killed people, hurt people. He was a blasphemer, he was a persecutor, he was a violent man. And he says, Christ came for people like me. I, I had... I want to tell you a funny story that happened to me this week. I can't leave this story out. I've told you before that when, I, when you preach, like, like every week, it's amazing how this happens. Like when I'm preaching through a topic, it's amazing how much that topic manifests itself in my life. And so I'm thinking I should start praying about like getting rich more often, right? Just stop praying about like enemies. That's no fun. <laughs> Actually, it was a lot of fun. So here's my story. Um, Wednesday morning... Typically in the mornings, Megan gets up earlier than I do, and she'll get up and she'll go get ready really quietly and not wake me up. And, and uh, Wednesday morning, she comes in the room, and it's just a little bit after six, and she's talking on the phone. And I'm like, Megan, what are you doing? I'm trying to sleep here. And she goes over to the window, and she opens up the window, and, and she was talking to our across-the-street neighbor who was calling to let us know that my car had been broken into. There was a guy that was going through our neighborhood, and he was just seeing what cars were unlocked, and I am the smart guy that doesn't always lock his car or ever lock his car. Now I do, by the way. But, um, but he was going through, and he went by their ring doorbell, and it set off their ring doorbell, so they, she was actually out delivering papers and got this alert to her phone, and so she watched it and saw him go to their cars, and they didn't get in, so he went over to ours, and he got in my car, and he kind of trashed it. I mean, I usually have a spotless... No, I don't. He, he didn't clean it for me is what I'm trying to say. And, and I mean, he, threw, he took everything out of all the consoles and just threw it around the car and just trashed the car. I mean, it, it was a little dirty, but now, you know, it was a mess. And, and you know, honestly, I don't lock my doors a lot because I, I typically kind of feel like, hey, if you want to come in, I don't have car seats anymore, but if you wanted a car seat, like, have at it. You can have my car seat, whatever, you know. Like, you want something of mine, sure, go ahead and take it, no big deal. But I, I don't usually keep a lot of valuables in the car, and, and I just happen to, I've got to apologize for this, I, I happen to have three gift cards um, that were gifts from Pastor Appreciation that were in, in the console in the middle. I had opened an envelope and just put them in there and, and hadn't thought about it. And then I left my car unlocked and this guy broke in. And so, so I don't think he got much other than he got three gift cards. Okay, that, I, I wasn't going to get all worked up about it. That's all right. And so I came to work and about lunchtime I was starting to get hungry. So I said, hey, Rick, let's, let's go grab a bite to eat. And Rick says, well, where do you want to go? And I said, well, I'm not drinking soft drinks right now, so maybe Skyline, they've got good sweet tea, or Firehouse, they've got good sweet tea. And, and Rick, who's a Skyline through and through guy, was like, hey, I could do Firehouse. And I was like, great, I don't have to go to Skyline, that's perfect. And so we get in the car and we start driving to Firehouse, and all of a sudden it dawns on me that Firehouse was one of the three gift cards that got stolen from me. And so I was like, hey, Rick, isn't this funny that like today I just got a gift card stolen and here we are going to spend money at Firehouse? And he said, are you just trying to get me to pay for your meal? And I said, no, no, I just think it's funny. Like it's almost like we're celebrating me getting stolen by spending money there. And so we go to Firehouse and, and I'm just having a lot of fun with this. I like to have fun with stuff like this. And so we're walking in and I said, hey, Rick, any one of these guys in here could be our guy. And I'm like, what do you think about this guy over here? Could be our guy. You know, what about that guy? Could be our guy. So then we sit down and uh, we're waiting for our order. And so I pull up the ring doorbell footage and, and I turned around and Rick and I are watching and all of a sudden he's like, uh, that looks a lot like that guy over there. And there's a guy sitting in the restaurant with the exact same hat, 
sweatshirt, undershirt, pants, boots. I mean, this dude is sitting in the restaurant where we're eating, where he stole the gift card. I mean, we're like, I don't, I don't want to... I don't want to falsely accuse, but we're like 80% sure this is our guy. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. <laughs> so Rick's like, I'm going to go up and get some chips. And uh, he sneaks up there and gets a good picture of the guy. I don't know how he did it. It was very stealthy. I'm very impressed, Rick. But he got this really good up-close picture of the guy that we think broke into my car. And so then I was like, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sneak out when he leaves. I'm going to follow him out. And I'm going to get a picture of his license plate. So he leaves. I get out my phone and I pretend I'm on a phone call and I walk out and, I, and I'm waiting there for him to go. But he drives the other way. And instead of leaving the parking lot, he goes over by Skyline. So I went in and I was kind of defeated. I said, I'm sorry, Rick. I didn't get the picture, you know. And we finished our food and go out to the car. And I said, you know what? He drove that way. Let's just drive over there. So we drive over there. And he's not in Skyline's parking lot. Rick says, let's go over to Home Depot. So we go over to Home Depot. He's sitting in his car in Home Depot's parking lot. So I said, dude, just pull up right behind him. I'm going to roll the window down. I'm going to take a picture of his license plate. And Rick's like, dude, I've got kids and a wife. And I'm like, I do too, but this is fun. <laughs> and so I got a good picture of his license plate. And, and we headed on out. And, um, and then we got back to church. And I said, you know, it would be really fun is if I took my car that he broke into this morning. And I went and parked it right in front of him. And I got out and started cleaning out all the stuff, you know, so I'm just like, at this point, I'm not mad. I'm not angry at the guy. I'm just having fun with it. Like, anyway, he was gone. So we, we're still alive and that's good. Um, but, but I just thought about the way that, that this happens and like this guy broke into my car that morning and it's just so crazy that I'm talking about praying for your enemies. And later on that day, I had a meeting with some pastors and, and this was kind of a strange response, but it opened my eyes to something. I'm telling this story because it was crazy. And this other pastor starts getting teary-eyed, and he says, you know what, maybe God's about to arrest that man. Not put him in handcuffs, not take him to jail, but maybe God's about to do a work in it. And, and that pastor just had this sense that, wow, that's just a crazy experience. Maybe God's about to do something crazy. And I thought about that, and I thought about what we're reading this week. And I thought, you know, that guy, Jesus Christ came to earth to save sinners. And that guy is somebody that Jesus Christ came to save. And guess what? I am too. And you are too. There is nobody, not somebody that breaks into your car, not somebody who's hurt you. There's nobody that's outside the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in verse 16 and says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul says, God saved me so that Christ might display his immense patience. Paul's conversion was about way more than just one person being saved. And listen, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I don't believe that God is just using us. God loves us. Jesus came for us. But Paul says, not only was I unworthy and the grace was abundant, but it was abundant so that other people will know that God is immensely patient. Listen, I just want to say it again. We are called to pray for our enemies and we don't tend to be very patient 
with the people that we're upset with or that we have things against. We tend to want to close doors. We, we tend to want to put up walls. We, we tend to want to lock things away. God has immense patience for sinners. If he was patient with Paul, he'll be patient with anyone. And, and so I, I want you to hear that today, that no matter who your enemy is and what they've done, God's patience is enough for it. And the second thing I want you to see there is not only does it display God's patience, but it displays the power of the Holy Spirit at work. It displays that God can change the worst sinner, the person that you think is absolutely unlovable, the person you think is absolutely too far gone, the blanks are too much, the sin is too much. God can't do it. God changes. And the worst sinner became the greatest missionary ever. I don't know who your enemies are or what it's all about. I try not to have enemies, but I know there are people that don't love me. I don't know what people have done to you. I know that people hurt others. There's nobody that's outside of the patience and nobody that's unsavable. God's grace is enough. And so Paul says, God has worked in my life what God has done for me is now what God is doing through me for others. So we're finishing up a series called Pray For. I want you to understand that what God has done for us, we are to pray that God will do for others. But I want you to hear this. This week was the canopy of prayer. We, we all joined together. I think about 80 or 90 of us joined together and prayed on Tuesday for our city. And as I was praying, I had the 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. slot on Monday night, Tuesday morning. And as I was praying, there was scripture in here and the scripture caught me. And it, it just, I mean, it just got in my head and I haven't been able to get it out. It's Isaiah 58, starting in verse six. Um, verse eight will be on the screen, but verse six I'm gonna start with. God says, is this not the kind of fast I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice? and untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. We tend to want to put up walls. We tend to want to hold people out. What God says is not the fast that I want from you to break down walls, to tear away chains. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Verse eight. God says, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of fingers, with malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of of others, of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. You know what this is saying? We're praying for a lot of people and a lot of things. And what God says in Isaiah 58 is that when our prayer turns to action, when we become ministers of reconciliation, when we, the word that got in my head that I can't get out is this word, when we spend ourselves on behalf of others, 
this is an appropriate way to close this series. This series isn't just about locking ourselves in a closet and praying for people. Prayer is the foundation for God to change our hearts and our minds and for God to use us to bring reconciliation. And so, so God says if you will spend yourself. Man, can you think about what that means to spend yourself on behalf of others? We spend, we spend money on things we want. We spend our time building careers, you know, practicing things we like. We, we, spend, we spend a lot of things in our life on a lot of different things. And God says, when you spend yourself on others, that's when the chains are going to break. That's when the darkness is going to turn to light. That's when you cry out. Sometimes you, you pray and you say, I wish God were answering. Listen, when we spend ourselves on others, when we really seek with our heart to pray for others, and then we are moved to action and we give of ourselves to others, that's when God is working in incredible ways. I want you to hear this, and, and it sounds kind of controversial, but it's not. We're not saved simply to be saved. We're saved to be spent. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love us and that God's just using us like puppets. No, God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross so that you could be free. But you're not just meant to be doing potlucks and be happy and sit at church and be comfortable. We are saved to be spent for others. If the mission of Jesus Christ is to save sinners, then the work of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ in our lives is meant to make us ministers of the gospel, to be spent for others. We're not just meant to pray for, we're meant to be spent for others. So we've prayed for our, our loved ones. We've prayed for those in need. We've prayed for our leaders, and today we, we pray for our enemies. I want you to hear this. We need to not only pray for, we need to spend ourselves to bring the grace and the mercy of Christ to others. I don't know what that means to you, but I would just ask you to think about this. How can you be spent for others? Jesus Christ came to save the lost. So here's, how, here's what we're going to do. The worship team's going to come up. And we've been through this series. We've been filling out the cards and writing our prayers. And we've built this prayer wall. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of you filling out a prayer card, listen, if God is speaking to you about praying for your enemies, absolutely write it down. Find something, write it down. But, but what we're going to do in response today is a little bit different. We're going to sing this song. Um, this is how I fight my battles. We're going to sing. And what I want you to do is I want you to begin to just pray. Okay, God, I, we've got all of these people, all of these requests, and some of these are yours personally that you've put up here. And all of these situations, Jesus came to save sinners. He came to restore and redeem things. And so I want you, as we sing this song, for you to start praying. And in the middle of it, Dale's going to lead us in a prayer that we're going to pray over all of these things. These aren't small things. Some of these papers represent loved ones who are far from Christ. Some of these papers represent broken relationships that, that are painful and hurting. These, these papers are our lives. And we're going to pray for 
these requests. But I want you to start praying, God, how can I be spent for others? At the end of the song, we're gonna take communion together and I want you to see an example of what it means to be spent. But let me pray for you. Father, we love you today. I thank you for your abundant grace that covers my sin. Man, I think of Paul and it would be easy for me to compare myself, but really, Lord, you have covered all of our sins with your body and blood. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, and I pray that right now we would begin to pray, Lord, help me to be a minister of reconciliation. If you want to work, Lord, I'm available for you to work through me. And Lord, we want to lift all of these situations and people on the, on the wall behind us. And I pray that you would use us, equip us, send us to be your workers. In Jesus' name, amen.